I have some things to share with you this morning that I think will be helpful. And we said last week when John made the announcement that the Christian News Northwest contains some elements that we need to address. We need to be able to lay alongside what is happening in the churches throughout America, actually throughout the world. What began in Jude's day as a small cloud on the horizon, a storm cloud, and it brought lightnings and it brought storm, in our day has become a Category 5 hurricane that is ravaging through the churches And no church is exempt from it because Satan's desire is to destroy the testimony of the people of God and cause faith in him to be laid aside. And people are fearful today when they see what's happening. They don't know really how to address it. It's called deconstructionism in the church. I wasn't familiar with that term. John sent me some information on it. But I did know that there were many key doctrines that were being cast aside and substitutions being made for that that are anti-Christ in their stance. Before this came out, this Northwest News, I had on the internet picked up a, a little information on what's happening within the churches. Let me read this before I get in the other. Two-thirds of evangelicals believe that humans are born in a state of innocence. We're going to Addressed that this morning. 28% of evangelicals now believe the Bible, the Bible's explicit condemnation of homosexuality doesn't apply today. And you see this all over the homosexual flag outside that some churches making a statement that you are welcome here and you can become a part of this body. Just come on in. 26% believe the Bible is not literally true. You'll address that as well. 56% believe God accepts the worship of all religions. I don't know, have you been listening to the news and you've heard Pope John make the statement that he went over to India and he said, we have not come to learn from, we have not come to bring our knowledge to you. We've come to learn from your spirituality. And then, for, listen to this, this is, is devastating. 46% within the body of evangelicals believe that Jesus was not God. So these are some of the things we're going to be covering this morning that I, I think we need to address it because it is, it is a force that is devastating the church. And when this COVID epidemic broke out and people began staying at home, a lot of people say, well, this is just fine. We'd rather stay home, not have to get dressed and get out on Sunday morning and go to church and meet with people. This is just as valid staying at home, watching it on the screen as it is coming together to, to listen to God's word and fellowship with God's people. This subject this morning is extremely heavy. And Jude, whenever he was going to write to the church, he had a a great desire to write of the common salvation, the wonderful thing that Christ has paid the price for us. 
But instead of writing of the common salvation, in verse 3 of Jude, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, the Spirit of God moved in and changed his subject matter. He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you. Not the pastor, not the Sunday school teacher, not, you know, those that have gone to school to to learn how to share God's word. He is appealing to you folks in the pews that you are to contend, appealing, pleading. You are to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all, once and for all delivered to the saints. The reason being, for certain people have crept in unaware. These people don't come in with a big sign saying, I'm an apostate. They don't come in saying, when I get established in your midst, I'm going to begin to tear out the foundation of Scripture from under you, causing you to believe that which isn't true. They come in with degrees behind their name, Dr. So-and-so. They come in with a highly educated you know, they're, they're polished. And a lot of people are, are taken by the fact that these men are polished. They speak well. They, they are able to captivate the attention of the congregation because of that ability. But in that ability, they are inserting bit by bit. I remember when we were in Kent, Washington, pastoring the Friends Church up there. One of the towns up there, a lady went into a drugstore to buy headache tablets. She picked up, a, I forget, it was one of the real popular tablets. She picked it up not knowing that in that bottle was one capsule of cyanide. She thought she was getting the real deal. Just like a lot of people that aren't familiar with what God's Word says, they think they're getting the real deal. They haven't bothered to open the Word and and investigate themselves. They haven't mined the treasures that are in God's Word. But this lady took this tablet. She was dead in two minutes. That's when they started putting these plastic bands around the containers you buy so that you know that no one has tampered with it. I don't know if they ever caught the individual that did that or not. But this is the kind of world we're living in, folks. Not only is it in the secular world, but there are those that are rubbing their hands together in anticipation of destroying the testimony of God's Word. And they're doing a good job of it. And so we need to be aware of that. Jesus spoke over and over again that be aware, be not deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you by words and by a formula, you know, there's some that used to be when you get saved, all you had to do is go up and shake the preacher's hand. And that meant that you were now a body in the body of Christ. That was accepted. There's others today that have to go through a, a training course of all kind of manipulations to indoctrinate you into the church. You have to go by means of how the church lays it out or you can't be saved. One person in a Billy Graham's crusade had been greatly moved upon by God to be born again. He wanted to know, how can I have this salvation that you're preaching about, Billy? So, you know, they always have at the end of Billy Graham's crusades an altar call. They sang, just as I am, and people would stream forth. Well, this person went forward, but in the crusades in, in Billy Graham's later life, latter life, where that he was preaching... 
they would have you various members from different denominations, and they had the Catholic Church here, and this person was an ex-Catholic. And so when they went up, they said, are you affiliated with any church? He said, I was once a Catholic. Go over here. Instead of accepting Christ at that moment by faith that he had died on the cross and his blood would cleanse a person from all sin, he had to go through the Catholic indoctrination, which I think was about a six-week, seven-week course before he could even claim to be saved. So Jesus says, beware that no one leads you astray. In Matthew 24, verse 11, it says, Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And then in verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, the very elect. That's, that's, that's scary. He says, if it were possible... If the elect of God, those that are born again and are members of the body of Christ, know what God's word, the Spirit will give you the detection that's necessary. It's like these people that go through minefields. They don't just walk out there. They have a gadget that goes before them, and the mine is detected before they step on it, which would mean death. And so then they remove the mind. That's what the Word of God is. It protects our steps as we go out into the world. It gives us the ability to see and to understand and detect the false doctrine that's being placed among the people today. In Romans sixteen seventeen, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. Now listen. Brothers and sisters, he's appealing to us. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. Someone may disagree with the doctrine. You go up and you question the pastor or the Sunday school teacher. That's not causing divisions. What he's talking about, he says, create divisions and obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. He says to avoid them. I remember when we, we moved to Newburgh, we were attending North Valley. There were quite a few liberal people in that church. And I was teaching Sunday school, and a fellow come up after Sunday school and said, I don't like what you're saying. <laughs> I, you know, I said, well, I can't help that. If you don't like what I'm saying, show me what's wrong. But that was the attitude, because... They were liberal and didn't like the fact that I was teaching God's Word as being the absolute inerrant Word of God and I was bringing something out that maybe was in his life he didn't like. He said, I don't like what you're saying. Another thing that came while we were there, I never encountered this before either. The idea that when you read God's Word, if it speaks to you, then it's God's Word. And if what you're reading doesn't, Speak to you. It's not God's word. My friend, this book that we have from the first word in Genesis to the end of Revelation period is the absolute, unerrant, inerrant word of God. And if you begin to let that idea bounce around in your mind that, and some of these theologians are very shrewd and we'll bring this out too. Very shrewd in twisting God's word for their own purposes. This fellow that we go and listen to on 
Tuesday nights, he's, he preaches on prophecy, light in the darkness, his, his study is called. When he gets through, he just, and he has a stack of papers that are <laughs> like a phone book. He just throws the one he's used on the floor because you can't keep him in order, there's too many. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll clean it up. We won't let the people that have to clean the church next week do that. <laughs> in Second Peter, and Jude wrote after Peter, in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, he says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive hearsays. It's on purpose. They come in as angels of light. They've gone to the seminaries. They've gone through the Bible colleges. But they are Satan's workers. And they come in. He says, They will bring in destructive hearsays, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. It's hard to believe that in the church of Jesus Christ there would believe there would be those that would deny the deity of Christ. So let's get in to Christian News Northwest. What I've done, I've taken what they have said and I've put scripture beside them because I think it's necessary for you and for me to know what's what's going on. <coughs> Excuse me. Number one, they said that after months of quarantine and social distancing, Americans increasingly believe worshiping apart from the church is as good as attending service in person. There's people that's believing this. Just a moment here. Well... That's a good one. <laughs> We're going to have to speak from memory. and Lord, help me. <laughs> but is it true that being home, either listening to the radio or watching the church service on your screen, is that acceptable? It would be if you were ill. But it says in Hebrews, let's see, what is it? Hebrews 10.25, forget not the assembling of yourselves as the manner of some is. Why is that? It's because when you gather together as God's people, you do so and you are encouraged by those that are there. You're a blessing to those. Each one of you here is a blessing to the person sitting next to you because you are encouraging that individual. You're showing the, the joy and the need of being with God's people. So according to Hebrews 10.25, you're not to stay at home. He says, don't forget, if you have a way to get to God's meeting place, do so. Because some have begun, or begun to withdraw themselves, and because of that, they're not being encouraged, they're not strengthened. Now, the second one that we have here is the statement that 51% in the evangelical church believe this. They say that God learns 
and adapts to different circumstances. <laughs> Scripture teaches us that God is omnipotent. Omniscient, I mean. That he knows everything that is possible to know. And he doesn't learn. He has already programmed this world in a certain manner for that it's going to consummate the second coming of Christ whenever he establishes his kingdom. He knew that in advance. He didn't have to worry that China would become a great power or that Russia become a great power. He knew and is putting all of these people into the funnel of history and God's in full control. He knows the beginning from the end. You know, that really bothers me that I... Oh, here they are. Praise the Lord. My memory will now be established. (laughs) Isaiah 46.10. Listen to what it says about God and His omniscience. I make known the end from the beginning. So how is something going to come up with, well, I have plan A here, and if that doesn't work, we'll go to plan B. God says He knows the beginning from the end. And from ancient times, he says, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all I please. So God doesn't need to adopt or adapt to what's going on. He doesn't need to change the course of his plans. He already has it all in full control. And then we have, this is one that has come up and has caused churches to split. I mean completely. Half the, half of the people walk one way and half the other way. The evangelical church believes that the condemnation of homosexual behavior is still applicable. But it says that slightly half of the people, 46%, says it doesn't apply today. Here a moment. If you go to Leviticus, I believe it's chapter 18 in the Old Testament, I'll turn there and read. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Now I want you to listen to this. God tells his people that he's bringing into the land that he promised to Abraham and his descendants. He says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. That is the worst condemnation that you can find. An abomination is the very, very worst. And it goes on and says, I'm going to drop down not read some of these things. It's kind of a messy area to be in, but it needs to be <laughs> elaborated on He says, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am what? Driving out before you have become unclean. And the Lord and the land became unclean so that I punished it, its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. We're going in the same direction, folks. We are doing the very same thing that these people that God expelled from the land and gave Israel that land, we are applauding and lifting banners and celebrating 
these things. God says, I will punish that. It is an abomination. And we have friends that have gone this route, that have gotten taken up in this kind of lifestyle. And because the church now says that it's acceptable that God doesn't judge it today as he did then, they are are in dire danger. Because Romans tells us in Romans 1.18 that God gave them up. That means when you adopt a lifestyle contrary to what God's word says, and you live it day in and day out, pretty soon your heart like a flint becomes hard, and the message no longer will get through, God says, that's the sure sign I have given them up. That's scary. What hope is there if God gives you up? There is none. The only the condemnation that Scripture bears out. So it applies today, doesn't it? Another lie that people are buying into, it says that 66%, 66% say that Everyone sins a little. Well, we know that we have a sin nature. Even though we've been born again, we still have to fight that sin nature. It's with us all the time. And when we stumble, we go to Christ for forgiveness, and he forgives us. We're cleansed. And so, but they say that everyone sins a little. And I was telling our Bible study, you know, even Paul said, the things that I want to do, I do not. The things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. And then he says in other parts of his writings, I have not attained perfection because the perfection only comes through Jesus Christ living in us. And when we become a Christian, his robe of righteousness is draped around us and the sin that has been taken care of is no longer seen. God sees us through the righteousness of Christ. It's just like someone writes a book on pornography and they just take the inside out, insert the new, and they see the, the new, not the old. And that's where our old book has been taken care of. It has been stripped away, and Christ now has become our salvation. And it says, a just man falls seven times, but he gets up again. Scripture doesn't teach a sinless life. And there are some legalists today that say that, you know, you, you've got to follow a certain mode. You've got to follow a certain little steps of rules and you're all right. Well, no one can follow the steps of rules without falling. I was in a church when I was first saved, the Assemblies of God. And the teaching there was that if you weren't living the right lifestyle, the right way, that if Christ came because you weren't living that lifestyle, you would be left behind and the rest would be taken that were was right with Christ. There's no member of the bride of Christ that's going to be left behind. That's, that's not biblical. He is going to take everyone that has been saved by him, that has the stamp of Christ upon their heart, forgiven. And if he were asked, how, how are they forgiven? Just point right back to the cross and the blood that was there. That's how we're forgiven It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His grace. That's how we're saved. Isaiah 53. Let me... And and from the... uh, Let's 
It's in the NIV, and I really like the way that this has been presented in the NIV. It says, In sin did my mother conceive me. Even at the moment of conception, I was altogether sin. The sin nature, it just passed on. And it's, David admit that while I was in the womb, I was sin because of the sin nature. And then in Romans 3, 10 to 12, Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever met anyone in your Christian experience that has said, I don't sin anymore? I have. And boy, he's talking about knocking you back on your heels. Because that's anti-scriptural to say that I now have come to the state of perfection, perfection which I, I don't sin anymore. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I wish it weren't so. I wish that we could could rise above the fact and be perfect, but we're not perfect until the dead in Christ shall rise and we'll receive a new body. That new body will be perfect. There was a preacher in Riverside, California, that he had been in the hippie movement when he was a young man, got into drugs and all that kind of stuff, and because he was in it so long that his his body was suffering from the effects of that even though he'd been saved a number of years. And he said, you know, whenever I die, if I'm able and that body and that casket is, is open, I'm just going to walk up and kick it. <laughs> because th- there was nothing of value there. It was full of, of things that he didn't want to do, but that he did. And I'm not preaching to say that you can sin. I'm saying that we need to daily follow Christ. And when we do something that we know that's contrary to his will, then we repent of that. Now, here, here's, a, here's a real good one here. And I was surprised to learn one of the greatest evangelists that we had in America's history was Finney. You know who Finney was? But it says that Seventy-one percent says that every born, everyone is born innocent. You know what? <laughs> There's nothing more precious than a little, little newborn baby to hold that precious little life. But it doesn't take long to see that that little bitty bundle of joy has one gold in mind, and that's, that is, mom and dad gives that little one its way. And if it doesn't get its way, mom and dad isn't going to sleep during the night. I mean, that the horns begin to come, to come out. That is the sin nature. I want my way. I want what I want. I don't want it tomorrow. I want it now. And you better give it to me or you're going to pay the price. Mom gets up in the morning. She's haggard. She's been up four or five hours with the little one. Dad's got to go to work. You've been there before. You know what I'm talking about. Now, here here is one that makes your blood boil because half of Americans say that the Bible like all sacred writings contains helpful accounts of ancient myths a lot of our seminaries are teaching these young men that's going to study to learn how to 
read God's Word, to study God's Word, to get the background of what the Word is saying, are being told, well, Genesis was, Moses borrowed and wrote part of Genesis from the mythology that was all around him. I want to find that scripture that I've had written. Okay, let's go on. Psalms 119. You might want to underscore this in your Bible. Psalms 119, verse 160, I believe it is. Let me turn and see if I'm correct. Psalms 119, this is what it says about God's word. And if anyone comes to you and says, no, there's non-truth there, that, that there's part of it that that's mistakes, it doesn't agree with science, you know, that these people were, they didn't have the knowledge we have today from all the scientific discoveries. The psalmist says, the sum of your word, what is sum? That's a mathematical term, meaning the overall the sum total of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. What they are telling the Christian is that you have to have the understanding and the ability to discern when you read God's word what's truth and what is fiction. And a lot of people are buying into that. God's word is truth, folks. Absolute truth. You can count on it. You can you can stand on it because it's going to endure through all of time. And those that say that the deity of Christ isn't isn't true, that he was not God. And I'm going to have to just pull from my memory some of these things that are written down. Whenever Jesus came on the scene, I've got in my Bible all kind of notes and says, if I don't, because of my memory, I can't remember. But it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. Everything that could be said about the Father could be said about the Son. The essence of God the Father, the Son had the complete essence of as well. So when you say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is, each one is complete. What you say about one, you can say also about the other. Isaiah 43, 10 to 11. It says... You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. What is Jesus Christ? What did did the angels tell the shepherds? For you tonight is born in Bethlehem a Savior. He couldn't be a savior if he wasn't God manifested in the flesh. He was deity from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. John eight fifty eight. 
Jesus was talking to these, the bigwigs in Israel, members of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the elders, the scribes. And it says in John chapter 8, as he was talking to them, he said that your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Where do you find the I am in the Old Testament? You remember when Moses was on the backside of the desert tending sheep? And he looked and he saw a bush burning and it wasn't consumed. And so curiosity overcame him as it would anyone. He walked over to the bush and when he got there, a voice spoke out of the bush and said, remove your sandals for the ground you stand on is holy ground. And so in the conversation, God was calling Moses to go to Egypt and deliver his people And Moses realizing he was going to stand before Pharaoh, the head of the nation. Who am I going to say sent me? Tell him, I am has sent you. And so Jesus tells these people before Abraham, I am. He gave evidence. He's told these people over and over again. I am God manifested in the flesh. And they completely Rejected that. And then there's another scripture where Jesus is talking at the feet of dedication in Jerusalem. And the Jews gathered around him in John chapter 10, verse 24. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Every time he revealed the truth, they rejected it. But listen to what happens here. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now listen to this. These people understood what Jesus was saying. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Don't let anyone, if anyone comes in your midst or comes to church and they begin spouting this kind of hearsay that Christ was not God manifested in the flesh, you call them on it. In our, in our opening with Jude, he says that he wanted to write about the common salvation, a wonderful subject. And he was ready to do so, but God intervened. And he exhorts people, contend for the faith that was once for all. 
There's no new source, folks. This word that we have is God's complete account that he gave through the prophets and through various men. When God gave this word, he got across what he wanted to say. And if this word were destroyed and he was going to rewrite it, it'd be exactly the same thing that we have in our hands this morning. It would not change. But he tells us to contend. Contend is an interesting word. It's a strong word. It means that you agonize. It's like a man in battle. You agonize for the word. You contend for it. You don't let people run it down. You don't let people change its meaning. You quote the word because you understand the word and you maintain. Contend for the truth that was once delivered to all saints. Like I said, there was a small cloud on the horizon that brought storms in the early church. Paul says in his writings in Acts, he says, I know that after my departure, ravenous wolves will come in among you. What do we have today, folks? What do we have today? We had better be men and women of the word so that we will understand. So contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. I'm going to close with this here, but in Revelation, one of the churches that this John was writing about, the Spirit of Christ had a contention with it. It says, because you allow that Jezebel. You allow it. You don't stop it. You don't say anything against it. You don't stand for the truth and you let her come in and pervert the gospel and bring in people where that they are then involved in sin, sexual sin. Because after all, that one of the teachings in, in the, that confronted the early church was that the spirit is good, but the flesh is evil. There's nothing you can do about it. Just go ahead and give in the desires of the flesh. And so this was being taught that whatever you want to do, do it. God won't condemn you. But he says, deliver the truth that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We are, you know why, you know why we have this today, folks? Because men and women of God stood for the truth and they paid the ultimate price for it. If you took God's writings and truth over what the church theology was putting forth to the people, you were burned at the stake. You weren't allowed to share that kind of information. Only the hierarchy of the church had the truth and they were the only ones that were supposed to be able to give it out. Tyndale. Many others beside him were burned at the stake because they spoke the truth and Tyndale printed the truth. We have a a war ahead of us, folks. And each one of us are involved in it. There's no escaping it. When we take scripture and we hear what the pastor says, was Peter a pretty big shot in the early church? Did he hold some clout? Whenever he came into a congregation, Peter, the big fisherman, the follower of Christ, you better believe when he spoke, he said, man, look at Peter. He was able to eat with Jesus. He was able to, to fellowship with him. He was able to walk on the water until he got his eyes off of Christ and he sunk and Christ saved him. Shortest prayer of the Bible, Lord save me. Jesus reached down and grabbed his arm, pulled him back up. He didn't drown. So Peter held a high position, rightfully so. But when he came to a certain group, 
And he was eating with the Gentiles because Peter knew that the door had been opened to the Gentiles. That was no longer a, a salvation based on menu and various other laws and regulations. He was eating with the Gentiles until the, a group from Jerusalem came down, you know, high officials. And as soon as they came to the church, he got up from the table of the Gentiles and he moved over to the Jewish table because he didn't want them to look down on him. Paul said, I contended with him to his face because he was wrong. And I, I think I can speak for Pastor John, speak for myself or anyone else that teaches within the body of Christ. If I say something and it's not right, I will bless you for setting the record straight with me. I want to know the truth of God's word. I want to preach the truth of God's word, to teach the truth. I don't want any air to flow out from what I'm saying, causing some young saint, some newborn babe to stumble in Christ. So the back the screen there shows a Bible with a sword on it. We're not called to do war with implements that destroy human life. We are called to do battle. It says taking the sword, the word, the sword of the Spirit. That's where we can find our defense and how we can help other people.